Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to corporately be together to sing your praises and declare your excellencies, to speak of your son Jesus. And I thank you for this time we have in your word, and I do pray that you would help us to understand your word, but also by your power and strength to be changed by it. And so we thank you for this morning. We commit our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we go through life, uh, we realize we're presented with circumstances uh, throughout this life to which our decisions uh, have an impact on our future. Uh, Those of us who are older recognize there were times where we were presented with decisions that truly impacted uh, our lives right now. Now, every one of us will come upon circumstances uh, in our lives that we need to make decisions when we're presented with choices, Um, and they're all varying and they're different, but yet there's one uh, presentation before us that we will all need to make a choice regarding, and that's the presentation of Jesus Christ, and how will we respond to that. Today, we're going to see the laying forth or the presentation of baby Jesus And so would you turn with uh, me to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35. And as you're turning there, we're uh, continuing our Christmas uh, series before we get back into 1 Thessalonians. And and as we look in this book of Luke, I want to share some of the context. Um, The Gospel of Luke um, is Luke's inspired account of... Everything that he had uh, carefully examined in consecutive order to share with us. It's based on his investigating literally everything carefully and writing it in consecutive order. And the Gospel of Luke is about the Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. And in the first chapter, Luke presents the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way uh, concerning the Lord Jesus, the Savior. And intertwined in that first chapter within the presentation of John the Baptist, Luke also chronicles the angel Gabriel's announcement of the birth of the Son of the Most High to Mary, a virgin who would conceive. And it's from this announcement we have Mary's greeting of Elizabeth, or after that, where Mary responds with her soul exalting the Lord and rejoicing in God, her Savior. Then in chapter 2, we have the only detailed account of the birth of Jesus. We have the angel then bringing good news to the shepherds that a Savior has been born for them who is Christ the Lord. And with that, we have the heavenly response of the heavenly host praising God, glory to God in the highest. And then we see these shepherds going to the manger, finding it exactly as they were told. And they make known the statement which the angel had said to Mary and Joseph. And Mary treasured these things. And then the shepherds went, glorifying and praising God. And it's at this point we come to our passage where we're going to see the presentation of baby Jesus. Again, Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to move back a little bit to verse 21, but we'll be looking primarily at 25 through 35. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name that was then called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when... The parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took them into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace 
according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now as we begin here, I just want to look at the immediate context here. Look back in verse 21, and we see that Jesus was given the name that was given to him by the angel, and he was called that, and this was at the time that he would be circumcised. Verse 21, And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, circumcision, contrary to what many people think, was often done at the home, not in the temple. And it's on the eighth day that they would name the child and he would be circumcised. And we saw that back in chapter 1 concerning the naming of John the Baptist. And this is exactly what Jesus' parents did with him, and then he was circumcised. So we have this on the eighth day. So they're not in Jerusalem initially here, they're at home. But it's at this point, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, in obedience to the law, they go to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. Um, But they couldn't do that until something had happened, and they were obedient to the law. Look at verse uh, 22. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, in Leviticus chapter 12, there was a requirement for the ceremonial purification of the mother after the birth of a child. And then afterwards, an offering would be given. And in this ceremonial purification for the male child, the mother would be ceremonially unclean for seven days, and she would not be able to enter the sanctuary for another 33 days. And that time doubles for a female child, Leviticus chapter 12. So Jesus was at least 40 days old when he was brought to the temple to be presented. So look at verse 22. Verse 22. We'll see in verse 22 he says, And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, and, and as we see in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, in Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers 18, we said that every firstborn male was called holy unto the Lord or set apart unto the Lord. And that is presented to him. And then a price would be paid to redeem uh, that child in a sense. Numbers 18, uh, 15 through 17. And this was a reminder of the reality that the Lord redeemed the firstborn of Israel during the final plague of Egypt where the blood was put over, uh, of the Passover lamb was put over the doorpost to save the firstborn. It was a reminder of that. So Mary and Joseph bring Jesus, he's about 40 days old, uh, to the temple to be presented before the Lord. And notice they also offer the sacrifice required by Leviticus 12, verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you read on a side note, if you read Leviticus 12, you'll see that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy. This was a offering for those who would not be that wealthy. So then Mary and Joseph are being obedient to God's word. And they brought Jesus to the temple when he's about six weeks old. He had already been named. He had already been circumcised. And then if you look down in verse 27, they did this to carry out for him the custom of the law. And in verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. So Mary and Joseph are at the temple presenting the Lord Jesus according to the law. And it's at this point something happens that will amaze Mary and Joseph. 
they come across a man named Simeon. Look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Take a look. Behold, that's what that word means. We need to pay attention. And then middle of verse 25, this man is described. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Our text says that he is righteous. He was righteous and devout. He was righteous. And indeed we know, even from the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, there are none righteous, not even one. Obviously he's righteous because something has happened in his life. And we know from Scripture that he has a relationship with the living God through faith in the seed of Abraham, which brings about righteousness, a righteous standing, and then the ability to walk in that righteousness. He is righteous, and that will manifest in his behavior and his desires. He was an Old Testament saint. And notice, he's also described as being devout. And it's interesting that Luke uses this word also in the book of Acts. It speaks of taking hold of well. Taking hold of well. Being cautious or careful. And in the context of religiousness, in the sense, it's being careful or cautious about your walk. It's being careful or cautious about your walk with the Lord. That's what devout means here. And folks, boy, that is lost in many churches these days. Not many devout, careful, and cautious about their worship and their walk with the Lord. Simeon is a believer who was careful and cautious in his walk with the Lord. How about you? How about me? Are we careful and cautious? Are are we like this? Uh, Cautious in our walk with him. Well, notice we have another description of him. Middle of 25, this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. He was a righteous and devout man who was continually, habitually looking for or you could translate it, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, what's the consolation of Israel? What is that? The term consolation, paraclesis, speaks of comfort. It speaks of comfort. And in the context of the Old Testament truth that was revealed, there were true believers who were waiting for the comfort of Israel. And that comfort would be in the context of redemption because Israel was walking in sin. And God had been disciplining them over and over again. They were looking for the comfort of Israel. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. You see, Scripture reveals Israel's rejection continually habitually, although they were religious. And yet there were a few devout, righteous through faith in the seed of Abraham who were looking forward to what God had promised for the nation of Israel. The comfort of of Israel. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed. It speaks about the future saving of the nation of Israel from their sins by the Messiah that she has received of the Lord's hand double for her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a, a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this Old Testament saint was looking for the redemption of Israel the comfort of Israel he was looking for that he's a godly man in the midst of an ungodly religious nation he was righteous and devout he was looking for the one who would bring a forgiveness of sins the forgiveness of sins and true comfort You see, we're not going to be comforted, we're not going to be consoled until we recognize who brings forgiveness of sins and we trust in him. And so then we have uh, this nation outwardly following the Lord. The majority would later on reject the Lord, crucify him, but there was a remnant of those 
including Simeon, who, was look, who were looking for the comfort of Israel, the comfort of Israel. Simeon was a godly man waiting for God to fulfill his promises through his Messiah. Tremendous uh, reality. And notice he was also spirit-led and submissive. Look at verse uh, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. His focus is on what the Lord has promised and is yours. And then he says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. You could literally say it this way from the original language. The Holy Spirit had been upon him continually. Continually. This is a true believer, as we will see. Yielded to God, and his Spirit was continually upon him. And notice within this, verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the temple, he came into the temple, uh, excuse me, came in the spirit into the temple. You see, the Holy Spirit had revealed to this true believer that he would not see death before he had seen, end of verse 26, the Lord's Christ. And remember, God spoke in many ways and many portions before, but now he has spoken through his son, Hebrews chapter 1. So the Holy Spirit somehow revealed to this man that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. Now the term Christ is the equivalent to the Hebrew term, the Greek term translated Christ, the equivalent to the Hebrew term translated anointed one or Messiah. It spoke of the prophesied redeemer king who would rule but yet would have to suffer then for the glories to follow. To follow. And so within here we see, uh, and he came into the spirit, or in, came in the spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit was upon this Old Testament saint. He was a man led by the Spirit of God. He was a yielded man. He was righteous and devout. This is a good guy, and he was focused on the promises of God being fulfilled. That's what we need to be. We need to be righteous because of faith in Jesus Christ, which will manifest as we trust in Christ. And we need to be careful and cautious about our walk with the Lord as we walk on this earth. And we need to be looking for the promises that God has promised to fulfill. And we see the Spirit of God was upon him, and he led him. It says here, he was being led by the Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Now, why would Luke share so much about the character of this man, Simeon, and the Spirit leading and revealing things to him? I think in a moment it'll be clear because this man, of what this man will do and say, because it doesn't ultimately come from him, he's led by the Lord and he speaks the truth of God as we will say. Now one last observation about Simeon. Notice he was also a submissive servant. Look down in verse 29 for a minute. Now Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy will. Notice he all humbly calls himself the Lord's bondservant. And what's interesting, he doesn't use the normal word for servant here. He uses a different word from Greek, despota, which spoke of a master who had absolute sovereign control. He's the Lord's bondservant. He's a servant under the master who has sovereign control over him in everything. And folks, that's where we need to be. We need to recognize that we have a good master who gave himself for us. And that the master of sin and selfishness is a horrible master that leads to death. But when we trust in Christ, a good master, and we obey his word, it is for our good. It's for our good. When our hearts are changed and our, and our desires are changed to submit to a good master, we are blessed. And here we have Simeon, a godly man, the Lord's bondservant. So let me ask you this question. Would the Lord describe you in this way? Are you a spirit-led, yielded, devout, righteous, careful, humble uh, servant of the Lord? Would the Lord describe you that way? I know there's times when he wouldn't describe me as that way, and we need to confess and see ourselves rightly that we would be like this, where we would allow God's word to change our heart and our desires, and we would follow him righteously in the context of faith and devotion as we see. 
So then we have a good picture of this man, Simeon. Now let's take a look uh, at the response of him, Simeon, uh, this believer, to seeing the baby Jesus, his salvation. Uh, we see that he wouldn't, to the end of verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And now look at 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And where and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he, that's speaking of Simeon, took him into his arms and blessed God and said... So Mary and Joseph, with the baby Jesus, are in the temple to present him according to the law and to give that, to give that offering according to the law. And here we see, in obedience, they were actually presenting the Lord himself, the Lord's Christ. So Simeon takes this six-week-old baby, Jesus, into his arms, and how does he respond? He responds by blessing God. The term blessing means speaking well of. Speaking well of. And it says here, verse 26, and he took him into, verse 28, excuse me, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Holding Jesus, he declares that now he can die in peace, that promise fulfilled that the Spirit had made clear to him, because he has seen with his eyes thy salvation. He fully acknowledges to the Lord that you've kept your promise, Lord, and that he now can die and depart this earth in peace. Verse 34, my eyes have seen thy salvation. And this is so important because he says, my eyes have seen thy salvation. You see, God has declared whose salvation is through. You see, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of salvation from our sins and God's righteous judgment upon that sin. And God provided that way of escape from judgment, that salvation, and he provided it through his son Jesus And his son took on human flesh to die for our sins. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.14, and the word became flesh. God took on human flesh. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And if you'll remember what the angel said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 121, and she, speaking of Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. God the Son, the Lord of all, took on human flesh. The Lord is who is salvation. And so this godly saint, uh, Simeon, is waiting for the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Israel, which would come through the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, and blesses God, he speaks well of God by declaring the truth of his promise. My eyes have seen thy salvation. I can depart in peace, you've kept your word. And for my eyes have seen thy salvation. He's bearing witness to the identity of this child. This is the Lord's Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. We know from Scripture that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. 1 Timothy 4.10 That salvation is possible through Jesus Christ. We know from Acts 4.12 that there is salvation in no one else For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation comes through the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through going to church. It doesn't come through doing things. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ, God who took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, bore our sins in his body on the cross, died for sin and rose from the dead. It comes through him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Simeon says, thy eyes, my eyes have seen thy salvation. This is the Savior. This is the Savior. Tremendous, tremendous. And notice he continues to speak of him as he's holding him. The six-week old baby named Jesus in his arms. He identifies him as the Lord's Christ, thy salvation. And he continues, look at verse 31. 
He says, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all the peoples. The term prepared speaks of being made ready. It's in a tense that means it's a done deal. God had made ready, he had prepared his salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, we have a a conversation between God the Son and God the Father, in which the Son is talking about the body that that God has prepared for him to come bring about salvation. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. (laughs) Hebrews 10. Verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In whole-born offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And after saying above, Sacrifices and offering and whole-born offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have the reality that this has been prepared before us. It has been made known it's been made ready. It's been made ready. And it says here back in our chapter 2, uh, verse 31, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all the peoples. It is literally before the face of the people. What's being said here is that salvation in Jesus Christ has not been hidden. It is before all. And as we'll see, God in human flesh took on human, God took on human flesh to die for our sins. It's not hidden. It's not hidden. And then notice he describes this baby even more as he blesses the Lord. He says in verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now the grammar is interesting here. You could say it's maybe a light of revelation to the Gentiles, one, the glory of people of Israel, two. Or you could see this portion, a light, speaking this way grammatically, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a light of glory to thy people Israel. Well, either way, grammatically, both those realities are true. So what is he saying here? What is he saying about this term, a light of revelation to the Gentiles? Look in John chapter 1. We'll see, first of all, he's a light to everyone. John chapter 1, verse 4. John 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And then turn to uh, John 8, 12. John 8, 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then look up at John twelve forty six. I have come as light into the world, that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, although certainly Jesus is a light of revelation to everyone, I believe our passage points specifically to the fact that he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. And this is an amazing statement from Simeon at this point, because the Jews thought it was all for them. 
And it says here, he says, a light of revelations to the Gentiles. And coming from a Jew, this is an amazing statement at this time. But obviously it's the Spirit uh, speaking through him, and it's truth. You see, the majority of Jews didn't believe the Messiah was for anyone but for them. They were looking for a Messiah, a king to come deliver them from the bondage of Rome, not from their sin. And Simeon, being inspired by the Spirit, reveals that this babe in his arms... This Jesus, thy salvation, in this context, is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And now, although this was not understood by the mainstream unbelieving Jew, God had made it clear to his people in the Old Testament that a Messiah would come also to the Gentiles. He had made it clear. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Let's turn to Isaiah, Isaiah 9. God had made it clear in his word that a Messiah would come to the Gentiles. His Messiah. Isaiah 9, verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. And in earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then turn up to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Verse 5. You see, Isaiah had made it clear that the Messiah would go to the Gentiles, non-Jews. But the Jews didn't like that. I think they had the attitude Jonah had towards Gentiles. He didn't want them to be saved, did he? That was Israel's attitude. But we see in Isaiah that God had made it clear what he would do. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, and whose spirit and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant people, a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, those who dwell in darkness from prison. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And then I'll read this for you also, Isaiah 52, verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of God. Jesus is a light of salvation, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. We see this in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 13. And I'm not going to share Acts 26, but Paul was appointed to share to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. Acts chapter 13, verse 44. Acts 13, 44. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Um, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, that's to the Jews, since you repudiate it and judge judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us... I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying uh, the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the, through the whole region. Jesus Christ is a light of revelation concerning salvation. He is the one who took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, and died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he is the true light uh, that enlightens every man. He is the light of the world. He reveals God's righteousness. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And we can receive that righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so then Simeon understood, inspired by the Spirit, that not only was Jesus a light to the Gentiles, but also, notice he said in the end of that, back in our passage, chapter 2, end of verse 32, that he is also the glory of thy people, Israel. Jesus is the glory of Israel. He's the glory of Israel and a light to the nations. You see, God had made a covenant with Israel. He was their glory. And yet, as we know, through their disobedience, even in Ezekiel, the glory departed from the temple. A symbolic manifestation of God's presence departed because of their disobedience. But yet we see God's glory had returned in bodily form. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And here Simeon says, the, Simeon says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. And it's concerning salvation to this little babe. Uh, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the complete focus of this glorious gospel. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. More about Jesus, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, there's a, Paul is addressing the Corinthians who are saying things about him that aren't true. They've been influenced by the false apostles, chapter 11. And apparently he's saying, hey, you're not saving many people. And Paul's going to answer that question here saying, well, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Don't turn your heart away from believing, because if you do, God will allow your heart to be veiled. And he says here, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. It's about Jesus, right? For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We have the reality that Jesus is the light of the gospel of the glory. Christ is the light of the gospel. It's the glory of it. It's the focus. Don't reject it. This little babe Simeon was holding in his hands was the Savior of the world. And the Lord has placed that before us for all to see. He has made known his salvation, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. One last passage about this. Turn to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Psalm 98, verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. He is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the glory of Israel. So notice also how he responds. Back to our passage, chapter 2, verse 34. Notice Simeon begins to bless Mary and Joseph directly. And Simeon blessed them, spoke well of them, speaking of Mary and Joseph, saying to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from the hearts, many hearts may be revealed. So verse 34, Simeon blessed them. That's speaking of Mary and Joseph. And then he speaks to Mary, Jesus' mother. And verses 34 and 35 are, are very interesting because so far in the Gospel of Luke, there has only been good news of great joy. But now there's some bad news. There's some bad news. You see, many in Israel will fall, and there will be opposition and a sword. Notice he says of the Christ child, he's been appointed for two things. He's been appointed for two things. 
The term appointed means to be laid or placed forth, put into position, appointed. Behold, this child has been appointed, one, for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and two, for a sign to be opposed. Simeon says to Mary, this baby in his arms, Jesus, the Christ to his salvation, behold, he's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. In context, he's speaking of the fact that this babe, Jesus, by virtue of him coming as Savior, will bring about the fall and rise of many in Israel. Israel will be divided. It'll be divided. In contrast to the Gentiles in whom the Messiah will offer salvation, is a light to them, light of revelation, Israel will be divided. Many will fall, arise and fall because of Christ. And I believe he's speaking here of falling into judgment or rising into salvation based on their response to Jesus Christ, this babe that Simeon is holding in his hands. You see, you're either going to stumble over Jesus or you're going to be saved by him. There's no other option. He has been placed before all of us. He is the only Savior. Listen to what the Lord said concerning the Messiah and Israel in uh, Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Actually, let's turn there. Isaiah 8, verse 13. Isaiah 8, verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary, both to the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble over them, and they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. The reality is, our passage points to the fact that the Messiah, in contrast to the Gentiles who would be saved by the same Messiah, that they would be those who would fall or rise. But this is expanded to everyone. The Apostle Paul shares this truth, excuse me, Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice cornerstone, or a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, that's speaking of Jesus, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. You see, Jesus was appointed for the rise and fall of many in Jerusalem, but certainly also for all mankind. You see, if you believe in Jesus Christ because you recognize you're a sinner and you need a Savior, you will not be ashamed or disappointed. But if you reject him, you will stumble over him to your eternal doom. Jesus will be your eternal downfall if you reject him, or he will be the source of eternal salvation if you believe in him. That's what he's been appointed for. He's been laid, appointed by God in the presence of all. There's no other name under heaven which we must be saved. Christmas is a wonderful time. Yet it's a serious thing. Because it points to the birth of a Savior, the one in which everyone will be saved by or will stumble over to eternal damnation. And your response reveals your eternal destiny. Notice, back in our passage, not only was he laid in Zion, this babe placed for Israel for the rise and fall of many, but he also was placed there as a sign to be opposed. Behold, the child is appointed for, one, the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for, two, a sign to be opposed. The term opposed here is the Greek term anti-lego. Anti it means to be spoken against, to be contradicted. It speaks of opposition characterized by rejection. Opposition characterized by rejection. This babe who would come to Israel would be a sign that was characterized by opposition and rejection. He came to his own, John 1.11, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. One last passage I want to read, a uh, larger one. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus shares a parable about this. 
He shares a parable about this sign that was opposed and rejected, speaking of himself. Matthew 21, verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put, out, put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to the vine growers and went away or went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. And the vine growers, vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first and they did the same thing. But afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out to the vineyard and killed him. Then when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at, a proper, in, at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you ne- do you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief's cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus' earthly ministry was characterized by opposition, and yet the result of those who oppose will be crushed in judgment. No one is neutral. You are either for Christ or against him. You will either receive forgiveness of sins or have, or you will stay in your sins and be judged. This babe in Simeon's hands was placed for the rise and fall of many in Israel, a sign to be opposed. Opposed, but yet in God's sovereign hand, through that opposition, he would bring about salvation. So now at this point, back in our passage, Simeon makes it clear that this opposition would strike home and it would even pierce Mary's soul. Verse 34 again, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, sign and for a sign to be opposed. Verse 35, And a sword will pierce even your own soul. Now in the beginning of verse 35, we have a parenthetical statement. Simeon interjects this before finishing his blessing. He's going to finish the blessing at the end, but he interjects this portion. And he says, A sword will pierce even your own soul. He's speaking to Mary. The term sword spoke of a, of a large, broad, two-edged sword. Now, we can't be sure, but I believe it's quite possible he's speaking of the grief that Mary would experience when Jesus is crucified. Prophetically, Mary is going to experience the deep sorrow because of the opposition that Jesus will face leading to his crucifixion fiction and death. And yet we know as believers, brothers and sisters, that although we didn't go through or go through anything like Mary went through, we will be opposed also. We know that from John chapter 15, that uh, if they persecuted Jesus, he says, they'll also persecute you. We know from Philippians chapter 1 that it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe, but to suffer in him. We know that we are blessed when men cast insults upon us for the sake of righteousness. For Christ's sake. So at this point, we have this parenthetical statement concerning Mary's future, her future suffering. But notice, ultimately, our response to Jesus reveals where our hearts are at. Verse 35, And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Again, uh, This is a parenthetical statement, and you could say it this way. It's been translated this way. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed, to the end that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. Indeed, one version says it this way. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will even pierce your own heart, Mary, basically. 
as well. So what's being said here? Your response to Jesus, God who took on human flesh, who died for your sins, your response will indicate where your heart is at. It'll be revealed. It'll be revealed. You can't be passive about Jesus. If you've not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone, your heart has been revealed. Your thoughts have been exposed. And God's a gracious God. He desires that none perish but all come to salvation. He would call upon you to turn, to turn from your sin. You can't stop, but you turn to Jesus. You recognize it's wrong. You turn to him for forgiveness from those sins. Today, maybe the thoughts of some of you have been exposed and revealed. God is a gracious God who desires to save you. What's your response to Jesus? What's your response? Have you seen his salvation? Have you been enlightened concerning your sin and your need of him? We've seen Simeon and Mary and Joseph. As Mary and Joseph are presenting the Lord Jesus according to the law, something amazing happens. And they were amazed by it. We saw that back over They're amazed. They were amazed. What's your response? Do you realize that's what Christmas is about? For my eyes have seen thy salvation. Have you seen salvation? It's in Jesus Christ. Turn to him and be saved. That's what Christmas is about. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of all men. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray for those here who right now are stumbling over Christ. I pray that they would see him rightly. Gracious God, a loving God who gave himself for us. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. I pray that they would realize their need of a Savior be convicted of sin, and turn, Lord Jesus, save me. And for those of us who have been saved by your grace through Christ, may we praise you and thank you and honor you and bless you, speak well of you because of your son Jesus. May this time be a reminder of your love for us in which you sent your only son to die for our sins. We thank you for your son Jesus, and it's in his name we pray.